Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the KSL Sports Front page. Welcome into the Jazz Notes podcast, kind of doing a simulcast here. I'm Ben Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Uh, very happy to be joined by someone actually I just met the other night at a jazz game because you were sitting in front of me and I've seen you for a few days. I, we have our masks on and no one's really sitting close to each other. So I don't know who's who. Uh, and it's Krista Peak, who's uh, just moved to the state. She covers uh, all levels of basketball nationally for Yahoo Sports. You work for Rivals. I mean, you really do... Yeah high school, college, and, uh, of course, the NBA now covering the Jazz. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, a, a full circle moment. I mean, I see them from when they're 15 or 16 and then all the way to the NBA draft and beyond. So I always tell, I tell these players in the beginning, you will never not see me in during your career. Like, I will show up uh, at the most random places, <laughs> random times. Because I, you're right. I cover it at all three levels. So that's nice because there's so much player movement now, and there's so much media movement now that like having a relationship with a player for a long time is really difficult to do. I mean, it's hard to just have a strong connection with people. So uh, you're getting them at a a nice ripe age of 14 and 15 years old. Yeah, it's. I mean, I watch a lot of bad basketball, but there are some instances. You know, like if I I caught Anthony Edwards at an 8 a.m. game in Vegas, you know, on a Sunday and. And he went off and there wasn't a ton of people there. So it's like moments like that. You kind of, when you see what he's doing and, you know, he had the dunk of the year already um, (laughs) against the Raptors. It's fun to then look back at those moments of like, oh, yeah, I remember there were glimpses of this when he was 16 years old and, and to see it again come full circle. And I've never really done the high school thing a whole lot. I've done a little bit here and there, but never like prep guys, like true potential pros. But I remember covering the NCAA tournament when it was in Salt Lake and I saw like a, an un, or a shaven Steven Adams at Pitt. And I still like hold on to that memory of like, I remember before he was Aquaman. Like I remember what Steven Adams used to look like. So uh, that's a cool experience. And, and welcome to, to Utah. Everyone should make sure you follow her on Twitter at Kristen Peak. Uh, make sure you follow all of her coverage. Uh, really exciting to have her here. Always nice to add some new faces to the market. So speaking of bad basketball, 
I, I every time I watch every non-jazz team this year, it feels like I'm watching a bad basketball team because the Jazz are playing at such a ridiculously high level. I mean, oh my it, gosh, it's so unique that they were pretty rough to start the year. They were four and four. Those games against Brooklyn and New York were just kind of ugly games. And I thought this is the same team I saw last year. And then they torched the Milwaukee Bucks, and they just have not stopped. What? No. From a national perspective, what what do you make of what this team is doing right now? You know, there's always going to be that narrative because everyone's going to look at the Jazz and say, oh, they, you know, they have Donovan and then they have Rudy, but they don't have that star, that proven star power. And that's always, always going to be the narrative. But what I love is what, you know, the reaction that we all saw Donovan give Shaquille O'Neal, like, I've been hearing this my whole life. Um, It's nothing new to us. And just going out there night after night and killing, killing every team. Like the stat I saw last night, it was the 20th game yet or last night when they went up by 20 points, it was the 20th time that they had done that this season. And there's only been 32 games. Like that is insane. And then every you're watching them and like Mike Connolly makes seven points right off the bat. He's four for four from three in the first half. And you're like, there's no way they can keep this going. And I think that's what the national media and the national fans they they look at utah and they're like oh this is a good run but there's no way they can keep this up and they can keep it going but there's an eight-man rotation and everyone is so deep six players are averaging more than 38 percent from three-point range and it just feels like when someone is down there's somebody else on this jazz team that steps up and it's so fun to watch and i am 100 percent on board and i'm a true believer in the utah utah jazz this season I'm trying to figure out, I wrote about this last night, but what is their identity? Because, I mean, they, they have this strong identity. And what I've discovered was their identity is whatever you want to take away from them. They're the other thing. So, like, they're not just a pick-and-roll team or they're not just a three-point shooting team. Like, fine, stick with the Jazz shooters, and Rudy's going to score 28 points, you know? And if you take away Rudy, you're going to have those six guys that you're talking about shooting 38% or better from three, and they'll kill you. And, and yeah. teams just can't take away both. It's hard to have good two-man pick-and-roll defense, and then a bunch of guys who can stick with shooters. And the Jazz realized that. Quinn Snyder recognizes how hard it is because the Jazz are one of the few teams that can do it. And he mm-hmm. says, we don't think you can match up with us. So take away the first thing. You can't take away the second thing. And we'll just adjust to that. And that's what I'm realizing. The identity is just, it's overwhelming. It's just going to find a way to find whatever mistake you're going to make. And the Jazz just drill it into the ground until the game's over. Yeah, I mean, and I saw like I saw a fun stat this morning when I was kind of reading other people's work where someone went back and looked at the records of the last 10 teams in the last 10 years that won the national title and won the championship and what their record was. And it's on par to what the Jazz are doing right now. So no one can say like, oh, this is just a little run. It's like, no, this was this is what the championship caliber teams from 10 years ago, every single one of them was doing what the jazz are doing right now. I I wonder, and here's where the fear is for every jazz fan, everyone who's covered the jazz. Hey, we've never seen them play this well. In all honesty, I mean, this is better than the 98 team. This is better than a 97 team. And there certainly wasn't coverage of the team then like there is today in national broadcast. There was that, but, but kind of the constant all encompassing uh, coverage you get now is the fear is that they are the Paul Millsap, Kyle Korver, Hawks teams. They are the, even the Bucks from last year, who are on a better pace than the Jazz were this season, they were going to break the Golden State Warriors record. They were going to get to 74 wins, it looked like. Uh, and then, of course, everything fell apart in the season. And then when they got to the playoffs, they don't have that closer. Giannis yeah. is inarguably one of the five best players in the world, but 
he can't get you a bucket late or he can't get you a, you know, the, the, the clutch basket every time. And they tried to address that in the off season. Do you think the jazz are more likely the bucks of last year, the Hawks of a few years ago, or can they be in the Pistons of four Pistons, whatever it was 89, you know, so the Dallas Mavericks with Dirk, can they be one of these surprise teams that steps up and gets a win? Of course they can, but you know, I also look at, you look for, for people, for, for players and a coach that have had a winning pedigree in the playoffs. And this jazz team has not done that yet. Right. So there's always going to be that like little in the back of your mind, like, well, can they go seven games with LeBron? Like playoff mode, LeBron, maybe if AD is healthy, it's like you start to second guess yourself. But like what I'm seeing now, I'm a, I'm very half glass full person. And I've seen enough of the jazz play this season where, you know, you, you think that one game, it's just a fluke, but then you continue to watch them and you continue to see like, Oh no, this is the real deal. And they need to stop being underrated. And that's exactly what I wrote last night was it's, it's now time. The jazz are here. They need to get the recognition that they deserve because what they're doing right now is unbelievable. And it's fun to watch. Like they're, they're a very fun basketball team to watch. I think even if you were to casually tune in nationally, even if it's not an ESPN game, if you have league pass or however you want to watch them, I, I think they're pretty exciting to watch. It's certainly the most exciting brand the jazz have ever played. What do you think about, because I'm curious about this and I, I have no idea. We look at the Miami Heat made the finals last year and they don't check the boxes you were talking about. You know what I mean? Right. Jimmy right. had some playoff success, but Philly underwhelmed a couple of years ago, got got pushed out by Kawhi and the Raptors when, when Jimmy was their best player. Uh, you know, we'd never seen anything from Bam, the, the what, what they did last year with Miami. Right. Denver kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, Denver had been eliminated in the first round by the Spurs the season before. And ended up getting to the uh, ended up getting to the uh, the Western Conference Finals. Like maybe this team environment is just what the NBA is now. I mean, maybe we are. There is more room for these non superstar driven teams to make it. I, and I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if that was a weird result of the bubble. Right. Yeah. I mean, as I I just came from the same place where the NBA bubble did their bubble. I went and saw the G League, and I have to say, like. With no fans there, it's a completely, completely different atmosphere than from, you know, last night where there were 5,000, even just with 5,000 fans, like it felt more energetic. And so knowing that, like, I think I think it's harder to win a championship and compete at a high level with no fans and trying to get up every game with no energy at all. So I don't think what happened in the bubble last year was a fluke at all. There will be people that will say otherwise, but I think it's harder to win a championship like that for sure. And so what we saw the Miami Miami Heat do, like, do I think that the Jazz could be that team this year? Yes. Yeah, I could see them going, swooping in and everyone, everyone pretending like they didn't know this was coming and being like, oh, where does this Utah Jazz team come from? And it's like, well, they have the best record in the NBA and they won the West, you know, but people still want to put money on what they know. What they know wins is LeBron James and AD, even, even though Paul George and Kawhi, like, totally did not play well in the bubble last year. People are still going to bet money on them. And then you got to look at the East and what Brooklyn has out there. And even with, with, uh, with Milwaukee, you know, you just got to look in and on paper, it doesn't really seem to match up with Utah, but I think that they have enough there to beat either one of those teams. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, and jazz fans are going to be worried about the Nets game because they got blown out without 
KD, yeah. and James right. Harden wasn't even there. Then again, I think Jared Allen had the best game I'd ever seen him play in his life and dominated Rudy Gobert, and they don't have that guy anymore. And that's right. kind of their problem is they give up 125 points every night. They just count on scoring 135, and that's still a very good net rating if you can do yeah. that in the game. Uh, so I think that's going to be fun. We've got the Nets coming into town here in the next little while. We'll uh, be able to see them at, at Vivint Smart Home Arena, and, and we'll learn a lot, I think, in that game. Uh, you know, the Jazz, even I'm just kind of thinking – stream of conscious here. They even remind me of the old Stan Van Gundy Orlando Magic team that had Dwight and then had Richard Lewis and had Hito Turklu. And they kind of were the first team that said, we're going to have a big defensive center like Rudy Gobert mm-hmm. and just a bunch of shooters. And that team made the finals. They lost to Kobe. And, and maybe that's yeah. what the Jazz are poised to as well. They're, they're going to run into a superstar and they don't have that option. But it's going to be just something we have to wait and, and see as we get there. What do you make of the rest of the West? What, what We've seen the Lakers... Obviously not at full strength. What we saw last night is not indicative of who they are, but I actually have some very serious doubts about their ability to have legs in four months from now. Like right. they're better. Like they're going to get less tired. I get Anthony Davis helps, but he looked tired early in the season. I, I don't know where they get better there. I think they're missing some vets. Clippers looked really good last week. What, what do you make of what's going on in the Western Conference right now? I mean, like you said, like it's it's so funny because there was such a short off season, so. You know, we didn't get a chance to like miss these guys at all. And, and the teams are very similar other than, you know, when you look what happened in Brooklyn. So in the West, that is. And then, well, except the addition of Chris Paul and Phoenix. But um, I just can't believe, like, I'm watching LeBron warm up the other night or last night. And I'm just like, he's 36. Yeah. Like, when is this? When is, what is he going to crack? Like, this is insane what he's still doing at 36. And so, like you said, it's like, will they still have the legs come playoff time with that shortened off season? And even with, you know, you just you just don't know with Anthony um, Anthony Davis, like when he'll be back and at what strength he'll be back. Um, and then in terms of the Clippers, I don't know. I'm not a believer in the Clippers. I oh, never have been. Like, <laughs> I, I I lived in Los Angeles for 13 years. It's always been you know Laker Nation, Laker Nation. Right. Even when it was Lob City, and even when they got Kawhi and, and Paul George, and and watching what they what happened and how they imploded in the playoffs last year. Um, it's just it's the typical Clippers. So do I think that they're a serious threat? No, not right now. The team where I'm just like, I think would be the hardest, surprisingly, like the hardest matchup for um, the Jazz is the Suns. Yeah. Because you got DeAndre Ayton and Lelaine, who is playing a lot better. I think Devin Booker and, and Donovan match up really well. And then Chris Paul, I think, is slightly better than Mike Conley, just in sure. the terms of he's won games in the playoffs. So when I'm looking in the Western Conference and possible matchups for the Jazz, I think the Suns is the team that really kind of gives me a little pause. Yeah, there's kind of a nightmare scenario lining up right now where the Jazz play the Nuggets in the first round and then play yeah. the Suns in the second round, and then the Lakers or the Clippers in the third round, and then you get the Nets right. in the fourth round. I was like, you might have the single toughest route to a championship ever. Now I think the Jazz have to hope that Denver picks it up. You end up with you know the Spurs or the Mavericks coming at eighth, and I don't think they're they're ready to compete right now with what a, a Jazz team is doing. Uh, but also, you know, with the way the Jazz are playing, maybe none of those teams that ended up being an issue. Certainly, right. blowout to the Suns early in the season is not indicative of how they've been playing since that Milwaukee Bucks game on January 8th. So, And we've got a couple more of those games coming up, too. So the second half of the season just got released. Should be really fun to watch what, what those end up looking like. Is there anyone in the East who's going to challenge the Nets? Do you think there's anyone out there that can step it up? One of the things that's been underrated <laughs> is the Bucks have not had Drew Holiday for a little while, he was in the COVID po- protocol. Uh, I know he's back now or is going to be back soon, but like 
They need him. He's they one need- of the best players. He might be their second or third best player. They need him, and they need that score. Yeah. Um, I mean, and your first question, do I see anybody touching the nets? If they're, if all three of those guys are healthy, no way. Yeah. No way. Like I, I just, I can't see it. I can't in my mind visualize like a scenario where even so say they, they run into Boston and Jason Tatum goes crazy and has 45 points. I still don't see them beating them in a seven game series. Like to me right now, um, the nets are the favorite to come out of the East. I guess I could see Milwaukee being the most desperate team to make a trade at the deadline and just say, we're getting past. But then again, they gave up all their assets to get Drew Holiday. Right. So I just don't know what is really out there. They could trade DiVincenzo. They could trade some of their guards. But, yeah, they just don't really have the piece, nor do I think necessarily that guy is out there. Like, could they get Zach? Yeah. Like, I don't think they have the pieces, but, like, that's what they need. They need that fourth superstar gunner type of player yeah. to come in and – I just don't know if they have the pieces. And that's what's hard about putting all your eggs in one basket to go get a guy like Drew Holiday who may not be uh, a perfect fit for what you need. Uh, but I think the playoffs are going to be fun. I mean, I think we're, we're setting up to have a good season. I think the regular season so far has exceeded my expectations for what the league was going to be able to accomplish. But I think the bubble did as well. Yeah, I, I would agree 100%. I mean, I think all of us just having all that time with no basketball at all, it's like even if it was – if the season started late and you know there's games that have been postponed or canceled it's just like we're just happy to have basketball back and seeing the high level of play that most of these teams are playing about it's just it's just a lot of fun um to watch and now you know we got March Madness coming up so (laughs) it's like it's it's starting to feel a little bit like back to normal normal where we were a year ago yeah so with with the all-star break coming up and the second half of the season just getting released what do you think you need to see from this Jazz team over the final, I guess they have 37 games left, plus the, the four that they start with tomorrow. Uh, over the final 41 games, that's a traditional half season. What, what do you need to see from them or want to see from them going into the playoffs? Is it just sustaining this level of play? What, what do you need to make sure you believe in them? What would scare you about them? I mean, honestly, I don't know how they keep this amazing three-point shooting up I would be shocked if they did for the second half and the remainder of the season like I feel like there's always you know dips uh peaks and valleys in in the season and so it's like how long are they going to ride this because you don't want to you don't want to hit your your highest point in February you know so like when is when is it going to happen to where they kind of I don't I don't mind them seeing them have a little dip and then right at the right time, they start to come back and, and figure it out again. Um, so I don't think there's anything that they could or couldn't do right now to not make me think that they're a true contender in the West, to be honest. Like I've seen enough in the first half and I've watched enough basketball to know when there are a lot of strong pieces and different pieces. Like we're not talking about the six man rotation. Like there's eight guys that can right. go. Right. And that is a huge, huge asset to have, especially when you're going into the playoffs and the games are more intense and, um, you know, you're you're playing the same team. So they kind of get a feel for who you are on offense and defense. And um, so, yeah, I think I think they have a huge advantage with how deep they are. I'll be curious if Quinn Snyder decides he wants to rest players a little more strategically. And honestly, yeah. one of the things I think good coaches do, and Quinn's a great coach. I'm not trying to call him out for not resting players more. I think these streaks, and we've seen it from the Jazz, these 11-game win streaks and these 9-game win streaks, the streak becomes bigger than the overall season. It kind of overtakes the big picture. And then teams start feeling that weight. And so losses mm-hmm. feel monumental. 
So I like when coaches are riding streaks and they say, you know what? We're not about a streak. We're about a championship. That's what our goal is. We're going to rest Rudy tonight. We're going to rest Donovan tonight or yeah. Joe or my, and we're going to lose the game. And we're okay losing game because the streak doesn't mean more than our no. goal. And I do think that's something the Jazz need to make sure they don't lose sight of. Because as you talked about, you can burn out over a 37-game stretch in the second half of the season if you're getting caught up in the idea of, we got to be eight games in front of the Lakers. You've got to be half game in front of the team ahead of you or win the tiebreaker. Like you don't right. have to win the West by five games. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's something I would keep an eye on for the Jazz. Otherwise I'm with you. It's not like they have a whole lot to prove uh, that this is a good basketball team or not. All right, let's talk about bad basketball teams because uh, we got a lottery that's going to come up very quickly because the end of the season actually is in two months. That's what's kind of crazy, two and a half months now. Uh, you cover college basketball as we've talked about. You're talking to Cade Cunningham tomorrow from Oklahoma State, who went into the season as kind of the assumed number one overall pick. But there's been some other names that have jumped in. Uh, yeah. Locally, there's some attention to Evan Mobley because he plays at USC and we're a Pac-12 state. Who have you seen in the drafts? And that's kind of your, your backyard. That's kind of your main focus. How, how many guys are really in contention for the number one overall pick? I just have to start off by saying that this is, by far my favorite draft class since I've been doing this. And my first draft was um, Andrew Wiggins draft um, in 2014. So just in the sense of the potential star power that's going to come out of this draft class, how deep it is. And we're seeing a lot of uh, attention and and just like value on skilled guards. And this draft class is filled with them. Like you said, Kay Cunningham, 6'8 point guard out Oklahoma State is kind of the favored number one pick right now. He's had uh, similarities. Some comps have been Luka Doncic in the sense where he creates very well for himself and others. And defensively, he struggles with keeping, you know, like De'Aaron Fox in front of him. You know, so sure. um, Cave at the top, Evan Mobley, seven-footer, kind of unicorn player who can handle the ball, who's good in the pick and pop, is an excellent shot walker with a seven-foot, five-wingspan. He's kind actually coming. Kind of becoming yeah. a little bit of a playmaker, which is interesting. Yeah, um, they're actually coming to town to play Utah. I'll be at the game, I think, Saturday. Um, so I'll be able to see him. Um, and then from there, you know, from the G League Ignite, you've got John Kaminga, who reclassified. He's one of the youngest players in the draft. 6'8 wing, can kind of do anything, has great pace, great first step. Jalen Green, 6'6 two guard. He had seven threes two games ago. Um, and then rounding out the top five, these are all five players that could go number one is Jalen Suggs, who's the point guard out of Gonzaga. Um, who when he played locally are very familiar with him and he's been been the best player to come through Gonzaga in a while now they've had Uh, was great and was a great they have great college players this is their best pro prospect in a long time until next year (laughs) (laughs) they might land a player next year who could very well be the number one player in the draft next year so well well, let's talk about that because because you said you've covered the ignite and they're playing this 15 game season in Florida, in this bubble, is that going to overwhelm college basketball or overtake college basketball? I mean, is, is that going to stop kids from going? I don't think so. I mean, uh, this is a, the inaugural year. I think it's kind of like a tester in the sense where um, a lot of kids aren't going to really look at this as like, okay, this is really what the G League is because there's no fans. They had to do it in a bubble setting. Um, and same, like, and and kids just want to play, you know? So I want to call this inaugural G, team, G League team a failure. I think it's actually done really good things for a couple of the other players like Isaiah Todd and Dacian Nix. Um, just having the NBA guys being able to go in and out down there in Florida. 
Um, and then next year, I mean, I'm they're on, on deck to land a couple other five stars. So I think it'll slowly start to infiltrate the college world, but there's just so many, there's so many players out there yeah. that are four or five stars. Like you can't all go to the G League. So will this have a huge impact on college basketball in the long run? I don't think so. It's funny you talk about 2014 being the first draft you covered. That was the first one I ever went to as well. I was, I, and I remember, and I was, you know, I'm 34 now, so I was 26, 27. So I was like, I felt very young, and I was certainly one of the younger like reporters there. Yeah, fresh face. I kind of always have a baby face, and I was at. If people don't know, but the day before the draft. They have kind of this big ballroom where you go in and you get to interview all the players and you kind of just go booth to booth. And it's a little yeah. crazy, but I don't know how to do it any better. So I'm sure they've tried a bunch of things and failed. And so I felt young and I was a little fish out of water kind of going by myself. And I thought, I'm going to find the other youngest looking person to walk into this ballroom with who looks like a media member so I don't look so stupid. And I like spot this kid and I walk in with him and I keep following him, keep following him. And he goes and sits down and the nameplate on it says Zach Levine. And I thought, oh, <laughs> you're not a media member. You're going to be a really, really good NBA player. <laughs> and I know. He, you forget how young these kids are. And I was 26. I was eight years older than he was at the time. And he was such a baby at that point and, and so small. It's amazing how much we expect from these people so quickly when they are so underdeveloped. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it took him eight years now, seven years to become this player. And he's one of the 10 best players in the NBA this season, the way he's playing with Chicago. So we, we, we just put so much on these kids. Even look at Donovan Mitchell, how much better he is this year in his fourth year. Oh, yeah. Can I tell you? So I go to the same media scrum in the uh -huh. ballroom and um, I go and, and I, I've clearly I've known these kids forever. And so what I do is like I go and the players that I know that aren't great in these sort of situations, I will go as kind of like like throw them some easy questions so they kind of get a little bit more comfortable because some people there are just for the soundbite. For instance, Bull Bull, not a great talker no. at all. It's like, I mean, the first time I put a microphone in front of his face, he like backed away from it. Like he, he looked scared to death. Scared to death. Ballroom. I mean, like, and the, I felt so bad for that kid because he's so huge. I mean, he's just so tall that he stands at everywhere yeah. he goes. His pants don't fit because you can't find pants that fit at that size. Everyone was torching that human for like okay. being a kid. It was, it was so like the very first question, because I was standing there and I wanted him to see a familiar face and be like, it's okay. Like, I got you. I'll throw you some easy, easy questions. Very first question was, I don't even know who said it. They go, um, well, you know, it's close to the anniversary of the time where your dad yes. died. How's it feel? Scrum. How's, yeah. How's it feel to know that you're going to realize your dreams tomorrow and be an NBA player? And he goes, um, I don't really want to talk about that. And it's like, he just yeah. like froze up. So then I jump in and I was like, you know what, Bull, you've been playing up your whole life since you were 14 and going against guys who are already in the league, like DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley. How's it feel to finally have your moment and know that you're going to fit in at some point in the league? And he looked at me and just was like, thank you. You know, yeah. it's like, who, who are these people asking these poor kids, these questions? I, man, you, I'm, I'm glad you were there to see it. Cause I was just like, I was, dumbfounded. I, I, I even remember your question because I remember the first question was so bad. And so just being, bad. How do you do that to, to this kid? I know. I so he's know. so easy to root for and, and I'm glad he's he's kind of figuring it out in Denver and they're going to keep him around. He looks like an NBA player uh, which yeah. is good. That's all you hope for for a second round pick. Sorry but for the yeah, tangent. No, it's fine. And uh, you know, the, another funny tangent from that and I'm, I'm sure we're just losing viewers left and right because we're just kind of having fun talking uh, which is the best podcast in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> Zion Williamson had, you know, 
400 people, it felt like. And mm-hmm. RJ Barrett was right next to him and had 300 people. And for some reason, they put Goga Batadze right next to him. I know. Zero. Nobody. <laughs> I thought, why did you do that? Put Romeo Langford over there or somebody from that draft class who was going to be a lottery pick. They put Goga Batadze and nobody talked to him. And then that sad photo of him just like looking over at everybody else is like, it's so sad. Uh, anyway, covering the draft is hilarious because it is such a mixed bag because there are people like you who are diehards who know these kids and know everything. And then there are some who you're right are there to get a sound bite and will ask the worst questions. The worst can. questions. It's such a funny environment, but Hey, I'm, I'm a, a quasi draft junkie as well. So it's very <laughs> fun to have another person here. Uh, she works for Yahoo sports. She covers high school basketball for rivals. Make sure you find her on Twitter at Kristen peak. She lives here now. So, She's not going to come and go. We hope We hope she's a, a very uh, stable uh, uh, addition to the local media scene. So make sure you follow her. Kristen, thanks so much for doing this. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Anytime. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Uh, read us at kslsports.com. Download the KSL Sports app. We'll be back with you again next week. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.